All right. Well, in preparation for our message, I want to invite you. You can open your Bibles to Isaiah 9, um, but also you can join your hearts with mine as we pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you for the season of Advent, a time to reflect back and to look forward. Uh, Father, I pray that as we open your word today, we will recognize that the promises of your word are completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, and that will give us hope, hope to live a life abundantly today, and hope of anticipation of an eternal life with you in the future. Holy Spirit, speak to us now as we enter into a time in your word, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So Advent is a time and season of preparing us for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We actually take time at Advent to look back at the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward to the second coming of Jesus or his promised return. The word Advent is actually a Latin word, and it simply means the coming. The original purpose of Advent was to be a time of four weeks set aside to contemplate what the coming of Jesus would not only mean to the world, but to every individual soul on earth. Part of our time today in the message, I want to just do a little bit of teaching or explanation about what Advent really is and why we do it. Uh, for many people in the church today, we don't always celebrate Advent all of the consecutive Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so this year, we're going to take a bit of a unique and maybe more traditional approach in that we're going to acknowledge uh, the four Sundays uh, each week by lighting a candle and a verse that helps us in preparation for having our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our spirits ready to celebrate together uh, Christmas, the coming of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world. You know, for many, Advent is uh, maybe more about wreaths, candles, and calendars, right? Uh, Y'all know the Advent calendar. I know if you don't know it, you should get to know it because oftentimes inside all the little lids that you flip open are little pieces of candy or chocolate. And, and I'm a chocolate fan. And so it's just not only a good daily dose of chocolate, but Advent calendar should be a daily reminder of Jesus more than anything. A daily reminder that Christmas season is all about the person of Jesus Christ. I, I got to believe that some of you today learned that today was the first Sunday of Advent when you came to church this morning. Uh, I wonder how many of you, I won't survey you, don't worry, woke up today knowing that today was Advent Sunday. Um, honestly, in our world and in, in, in the church, unless you come from a high church background, um, we don't always make a big deal of Advent, and we should. Yet, what do we make a big deal of? Well, we make a big deal about Jesus. And when we look around in our world at this season, the world makes a big deal about Christmas. The problem is, the world seems to have hijacked Christmas and made it something that I don't think God ever intended it to be. For Christmas truly is about Christ. 
And the world has made Christmas about many other things than Christ. The celebration, the commercialization of the holiday, the food, the gifts, the stress, the family gatherings, all those things. By the way, all those things can be good things. And I don't want to discourage you from taking advantage of family time and giving gifts and celebrating with lights and food and and all that stuff. But do you ever find that Christmas is more of a season of hustle and bustle than it is a season of contemplation and reflection? You know, Christmas really is to be a time of remembrance, a time of reflection, a time of contemplating who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that's my hope for us in this Christmas season, is that we can set aside the rat race of everyday life and exchange it for some time with Jesus Christ. You might find it interesting that there was actually no celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ for nearly the first 400 years after Jesus was born. It wasn't until around the fourth century that the celebration of Christmas actually became a fixed part of the church calendar. To the early Christians, three different meanings were found in the days of Advent or the days of the coming. The first was a look back to the first coming of Jesus and reflecting on how God became a man in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. The first coming of Jesus The first coming of God to earth in the flesh was a humble beginning. The second focus of the early Christians was the coming of Jesus into our everyday lives that caused us to consider how Jesus makes a difference in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and in our actions. The third Remembrance or time or purpose of reflecting was about the future coming of Jesus. That there was a promise fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus and there'll be a promise fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus as Jesus returns to this earth as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords. And if you remember, Jesus came first as that humble servant. He will come next as a conquering King in all of his glory. In fact, until World War II, most people who who celebrated Advent dwelled more on the second coming of Christ than they actually did on the first coming of Jesus or his birth. So what happened? It was around World War II that the evolution of Christmas became more of a children's holiday where children were being taught about Jesus, and as a result, Advent evolved into a time of remembering a child in a manger more than it was about remembering the second coming or the second promise fulfilled in Christ. And now today, with the commercialization of Christmas around the world, we as Christians, we're fighting to keep Christ in Christmas, aren't we? You know, in one tradition that can help us This Advent season 
to keep our eyes on Jesus and to keep our focus on what Christmas is really all about is the Advent wreath and the Advent candles. That's why today I wanted to begin this season with the lighting of the candle. I want to just give a brief explanation of the symbolization of these candles and and, and why we do this. I'm not going to assume that all of you know what this is about. Many of you do, so endure it. For those of you that don't, be encouraged by it. Every one of those candles represents something. The first candle that we lit today is purple, and it represents the prophet's candle. It represents hope in the world. Each Sunday of Advent is a progression until we can celebrate the promise of Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the past in the person of Christ and his work and in his ministry. And so we look today at the prophecy of Christ and the promise of his coming and the promise of his return. And that gives us hope. The second candle is called the Bethlehem candle, and it is a symbol of peace. It's a reminder that Jesus actually came just like the prophecies of the Old Testament said and was born in Bethlehem to bring peace to this world. There's another candle called the shepherd's candle. The shepherd's candle is the pink one, and it represents the joy that Jesus brought into the world. For the angels announced to the shepherds that there will be joy for all people because of the birth of Jesus into this world. Then there's the fourth candle, a purple one, the angel's candle, where the angels celebrated the good news of the arrival of Jesus that brought good news of great joy for all people, but also that would celebrate the fact that there will be now peace on earth and good tidings towards men because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then the last candle is the Christ candle. It's the white candle. It represents the purity of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of all the promises and what Jesus has done for us and what he continues to do through us each and every day. Jesus truly is the fulfillment of the promised one. So my hope is that this Advent season, you will take time to ponder what the birth of Jesus really means for you and how important it is for Christians to share the true meaning of Christmas during this season. Jesus came as a humble servant into this world to save sinners like you and like me. Honestly, that's the message of Christmas. And that's the overarching storyline or the theme of the whole Bible. Jesus came to save sinners like you and like me. So long before this happened, God spoke through his prophets of the coming Messiah who would bring hope to the world. The New Testament, as we discover Jesus in it, we will find that he is the hope of the world that the Old Testament spoke about, that he came to bring hope to our lives, a hope that produces an abundant life here and now and an eternal life yet to come. In Isaiah chapter 9, 
verses 1 and 2, 6 and 7. I want to reread these verses to you this morning and with you, just as a reminder of the promise of who would come. Beginning in verse 1, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. You see, at this time in history when the prophet Isaiah was writing about the promised one, as he was writing, he himself didn't even know when this would happen and who this would really be. It was at this time in history that Israel was a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel, would essentially become and eventually become uh, conquered and captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, they would eventually be overruled by the Babylonians, but not until around 586 B.C., and then they were sent into exile for some 70 years before they were able to return to Jerusalem. Now, the tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel, they suffered greatly at the hands of the invading Assyrians. They were without hope and they were in despair. It was then that through the prophet Isaiah, who began his ministry in about 740 BC, God sent the Israelites a message that promised peace. Think about that. Some 700 years before Jesus actually fulfilled the promise. This prophet was telling the Israelites that someday soon there will be one who comes to bring peace. Now they anticipated and hoped that it would be in their lifetime, but it was not. It was several centuries later. Their humiliation would come to an end through the birth of a great king, this king from the line of David, whom we know today as the person of Jesus Christ, who will rule forever and bring peace, peace to earth. You see, when people study the Bible and you begin in the Old Testament, what you find and discover is that there's a whole lot of predictions about this promised one, the person, the, the, the Messiah, Christ himself, all of these promises are actually fulfilled in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we'll realize is that from the beginning of time, God actually had a plan. And then he provided a promise and he made the provisions for his plans to be fulfilled, his promises to be fulfilled, and his provisions to be fulfilled all in and through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And this gives us hope. It gives us hope that God is a faithful God who will keep his promises and fulfill his plans. Many scholars believe that there's over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that are all fulfilled in the person of Christ in the New Testament. Prophecies that give specific details about the Messiah include that he would be born to a virgin mother, Isaiah 7. That he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5. That he would spend time in Egypt, Hosea 11. That he would come from the house or the family line of David in Ezekiel 37. That the Messiah would start his ministry in Galilee, as we read in Isaiah 9. That he would be a figure that Daniel referred to as the Son of Man. That he would teach hidden things, things from of old out of Psalm 78 that he would be holy, a rock that would make people stumble and fall because they didn't believe in him, Isaiah 8. That the Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, as Isaiah wrote in chapter 9. That he would be called my son, as 2 Samuel in Psalm 2 tells us. My son being the son of God. And that he would gather the Israelites back to himself as Isaiah writes about in chapter 11. Now, unless you have the New Testament, consider this, the Old Testament will run into a dead end. The Old Testament is all about who Jesus is and what he would do and all the promises and all the plans and all the provisions that God talk about in the Old Testament, if we don't ever get to the New Testament, we're going to be left to wonder, when will God do all of this? But we don't have to be left to wonder because 2,000 years ago, God fulfilled his plan in the, purpose, in the person of Jesus Christ. In all of the New Testament, we find the fulfillment of the Old Testament and who Jesus is, and what he has done. This is a big deal. In a book of theology, Griffin Thomas writes concerning the Old Testament. Think through this with me just for a moment. Listen carefully. It is a book, Old Testament. It is a book of unfulfilled prophecies, unexplained ceremonies, and unsatisfied longings. That's the Old Testament. All of which are resolved in the New Testament's focus on Jesus Christ, who fulfills in his life the prophecies, who explains in his death the ceremonies, and satisfies in his resurrection the longings. Without the New Testament, the Old Testament doesn't make any sense. And it leads us to a dead end. But in the New Testament, we find the promise of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And this should give us hope in an increasingly hopeless world. So what is hope anyway? Biblical hope is the anticipation of an expected outcome based on a promise, plan, and provision of God. That's what hope is. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is confident expectation. The other night I was watching a documentary with my kids 
uh, of a father and son who went out west big game hunting. And the night before opener, they were sitting around the campfire and they had just scouted and they found all the animals they were trying to hunt. And they were hunting buffalo and elk and a few other things. And, and as they're sitting around the campfire, the dad looks to his son and he says, well, son, tomorrow morning, we're going to go out there and we're going to fill our tickets, aren't we? And the son looks at the dad and he says, I hope so. And the dad looks at him a little bit bewildered and maybe even upset. And he's like, no, son, we are. But that son's reply is the way the world understands hope. There's no guarantee they were going to get up in the morning and they were going to actually fill their tickets. No guarantee. Now, dad wanted to instill in that child, no, we're, we're going to do this. But the son was wise enough to know, yeah, but maybe we won't. And that's how the world views hope. But that's not how God defines hope for us. Because in Jesus Christ, we can live with absolute confidence that what Jesus says he will do for us, he will and he can and he does. That in and through Jesus, when we, re, when we release ourselves from ourselves and we cling to Jesus, the hope that we have is that our sin can be forgiven and we can be given abundant life now and eternal life to come. You see, anytime my children are in need and they yell for mom or dad, they yell with a confident expectation that we will come and we will help them because we have demonstrated to them that we will. And that's the kind of hope that Jesus wants us to have towards him. He's demonstrated time and time again his faithfulness. And he wants us to recognize our need for him and our desire to cling to him. You see, Jesus didn't come to just save us from something. He did do that, by the way. He came to save us from hell. That's a real place for all eternity. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sin and mine so that we wouldn't have to go to hell forever. That's true. But that's not the only reason he came. It's in part why he came. He also came to save us for something. He came to save us, first of all, for abundant life, abundant living. He came to not only take away our sin here and now, but he came to give us a life that we could never gain on our own here on earth. He also came to give us eternal life a life where we can spend it with God the way God intended us to be in relationship with him. So what does hope mean for us in this season? I think hope means for us in this season that in Jesus, we can be reconciled to God and we can be reconciled to one another. And reconciliation is just simply being at peace. Because of our sin, nobody is at peace with God until the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sin and it's the only way we can find peace with God. Relationships matter to God and the most important relationship is our relationship with God. And the only way we can have that is through Jesus. But relationships with others are also important to God and so not only did God come to get, give us peace with him through Jesus, 
He also came to help us make peace with one another. See, that's what God does. He fixes things. He fixes the broken. God can fix marriage. He can fix friendships. He can fix family matters. He can fix work and school conflicts. This is just one way that God can show up and help our life become abundant. God can and will fix the broken in our life if we just simply give it to him. A book I recently read on the purpose and meaning of Christmas said, the name Jesus actually means God saves. Right now, Jesus says this to you. I can replace the frustration in your heart with peace. I can replace your guilt with shame and forgiveness. And I can replace your guilt and shame with forgiveness. I can replace your worry and anxiety with confidence. I can replace your depression with real hope. I can fill your emptiness with meaning and purpose. If you'll trust me completely, I can replace your confusion with clarity. But I'm not going to break down the door of your heart. You've got to invite me in. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to invite Jesus in so that he can bring true hope to your life? There's a few things I want to remind you of today by way of simple application that will help us to see what difference Jesus can make in our lives, especially as it relates to hope. The first is that hope accepts God's plan. Hope accepts God's plan. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you can live with confidence that what God said he'll do for you and through his son, Jesus, he will. The Bible tells us in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God's plan from Genesis 3 all the way to today has never changed and it never will. God's going to help people get right with himself, find peace with God through Jesus and Jesus only. We can have confidence and we can live with hope that accepts God's plan. The second thing that hope does for us is hope trusts in God's promises. Remember, God didn't send Jesus just to save us from hell. He came to give us life and life abundantly and also life eternally. Jesus has come to give us all kinds of promises for what we can expect when we live with him and we live through him. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you believe it? The third is that hope relies on God's provisions. Hope relies on God's provisions. You see, everything we need for salvation, everything we need for a life of holiness and a life of godliness, God has provided. I want you to consider today what consumes your mind by way of worry and anxiety. 
Does the economy worry you? Does your bank account worry you? Does your job give you anxiety and stress? Do the wars that are raging on all around the world bother you? Do you ever wonder where you're going to get your next meal from? Or if a time will come, you have to wonder about that. God understands all of these things and how they can consume us. But those are the things that should consume the mind of an unbeliever, not the mind of a believer. Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us all kinds of reason to trust in his provision. Remember, it begins by understanding and accepting God's plan. When we know his promise, we trust his promise, will help us to look to him for provision. Let me share with you out of Matthew 6, Jesus' own words about how we can rely on God for the provisions in our life. Verse 25 to 34, just listen to these words. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough trouble for today. Isn't that true? What does hope do? Hope builds for us a firm foundation upon which we can live our lives with a confident expectation that Jesus is who he said he is, that he will do what he says he can do, and that he will give us a life we could never find on our own. Hope anticipates the result of something good based on the plan, the promise, and the provision of God. And when we live with Jesus, we can know this for certain. Jesus changes everything. So this Advent season, this is my challenge to you. Live hope-filled lives. Lives of confident expectation that this season isn't about the hurry and scurry and the hustle and bustle and 
the parties and the goodies and the foods and the gifts and the and the and the and this, but that this season truly is about Jesus Christ and what difference he can make in our lives and everyone who trusts in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, for the season of Advent, as we take time to look back to the fulfilled promise of the humble servant, Jesus, who came as Savior of the world. As we take a look in our own lives and how, God, through Jesus, you can make a difference in our everyday lives here and now. And as we also look forward to a future glory with you and the return of your son, Jesus, to earth as king in all his power and splendor and glory. We long for that day. Bless us now as we go from this place in Christ's name. Amen.